Hello, and welcome to The Juice and the Squeeze. I'm Julia Strand, here with my co-host, Jonathan Peel. Hey, Jonathan. Hey, Julia. I have a feeling I'm going to hear a lot from you today, and so I'm going to open a sparkling water here. I want you to hear it. Okay. I'm going to sit back and listen uh, as you tell us a tale, and then I'm going to jump in with timely and insightful questions. (laughs) All right, gang. Today we are talking about... um, a uh, personal, kind of emotional, uh, really big thing that happened to me, which is the story of how I discovered I had made a huge scientific mistake uh, in a published paper and what I did about it. So uh, that's all the spoiler I'm going to give you for now. Um, Can I just, but- I'm sorry to interrupt so soon. I already <laughs> got tingles. <laughs> even, even though I kind of know a little bit about the story, um, I, I, the suspense is, is still killing me. All right. All right. So so the backstory is that in 2018, uh, I published a paper with one of my research students, who you've heard about before, Violet Brown, and my wonderful postdoc mentor, Dennis Barber. Um, and the the finding that we published um, uh, was, was really beautiful. It's about, um, uh, listening effort. So the, that, that feeling that you get in noisy listening situations when you're trying to understand your conversational partner, uh, that, that feels subjectively kind of like squinting your ears. Um, so we did this paper on listening effort and we, we demonstrated this really cool effect that the presence of a modulating circle. So a little visually presented blinky dot, um, that moves on the screen with the amplitude of the speech. So the dot gets loud as the the dot gets big as the speech gets loud. Um, That dramatically reduced listening effort in our participants. Um, It's a really cool finding because it's got clear real world applications, right? We started talking about like making an app that you could use to generate the stimulus for people who are hard of hearing to reduce effort in noisy listening situations. Um, The effect was also huge. So we had 96 participants in this study Every single person showed the effect. Um, the, the paper got great reviews. It was published in uh, Psychonomic Bulletin and Review, which is a, um, a, a great journal. Um, it was also personally very exciting and important for me because it was my first paper uh, that that really fully embraced open science practices. So the paper was pre-registered, meaning we had specified ahead of time exactly what we were going to do and how we were going to do it. Uh, we shared our data. We shared our materials. Uh, we had open we had code available on the internet. So it was um, a paper that I was incredibly excited about and very proud of. Um, I wrote and was awarded my first major federal grant, a National Institute of Health grant, uh, to in part to study this blinking dot, in part to study other things. But the uh, the, the blinky dot was kind of a, a key component of the grant. Um, we replicated the effect at another institution. So Violet took this uh, took the same program and the same stimuli to uh, to her program at Washington University in St. Louis um, and replicated the effect with a sample of older adults. So we now have the effect in, in both populations and the effect replicated just beautifully. Okay, and that's the whole story. Now we're done. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was less dramatic than I, I thought. That sounds really positive so far. All right. All right. So, uh, so far, so far, so great. Um, then in my lab, we uh, we tried to uh, replicate and extend the finding. So we're, uh, you know, building on the finding, but with a, a direct replication of what we did before built in. Um 
And we ran it again, and the effect did not replicate. In fact, suddenly there was more listening effort with the dot than without it. Hmm. Um, so that was surprising. But we figured we must have done something wrong or differently. This was such a big and dramatic effect, and we had replicated it elsewhere. So uh, uh, surely it's still there. What could be wrong? Um, and so we very methodically said, okay, we've got a new version of the stimulus presentation software. It's a different computer operating system. Uh, the stimuli were different. Um, and, and the first thing that we thought is maybe like the, the speech stimuli that we had recorded uh, weren't like high enough quality. So maybe we need to like re-record new stimuli. If they're noisy, that's going to mess with how the dot gets generated from the audio signal. Um, so we record new stimuli, um, edit a bunch of videos, put it all back together, uh, run a pilot study, and it fails to replicate again. The blinky dot increases effort. So we tried a bunch of different versions to try and, like, isolate. Could it be the stimulus presentation program version? Could it be the operating system? Could it be, you know, any number of things? Um, and we just fail to replicate it again and again and again. I mean, I think it was like three times total again mm -hmm. and again and again. Okay, that's three. Um, <laughs> and so then so then I said, okay, I just want to go back and make sure the original effect is still there. So if we use the original program and the original stimuli and the original instructions and everything, can we get the effect to come back? So we run that study and the effect comes back. Hmm. So that tells us that that there is something systematic about, you know, this new version of the experiment we had made that is different from the old version that's not about, you know, the computers or the barometric pressure or something like that. Um, it, it's also really puzzling because of how incredibly huge this effect was, right? You don't go from, like, every single participant showing the effect to nobody showing the effect, mm -hmm. like, just through random chance, right? Mm -hmm. Like, this is something systematic. Um, so I sat down with the old version of the program uh, that we had used in the original study that Violet had used in her uh, uh, in the replication at WashU. Um, so I sat down with that program open and with the new program that had been failing to replicate open. Um, and I just start going through line by line. Where is the difference? You know, where is where is this coming from? Uh, so I am sitting at my laptop. Uh, in my house, in my living room, I have put my children to bed. It's a Sunday night. Um, I'm just, you know, sitting there working through this by myself. There is some time pressure because Violet's, uh, master's defense, which is, uh, the, her master's defense, her, her master's project was the replication with older adults. Her master's defense is, uh, is in two weeks and she is, admitted uh, understandably nervous about uh, about presenting that, given that we have failed to replicate the effect and don't know why. Mm -hmm. So I just say to myself, all right, I'm going to sit down. I'm going to figure this out. So I sit down and I find that in the original program, uh, there is a mistake. There's a big mistake. Um all, all of the nitty-gritty details aren't terribly interesting, but basically um, we're looking at how long it takes people to respond to these speech stimuli with the dot and without the dot. And I had somehow inadvertently um, set the timing clock on, like, the control condition 
uh, to start earlier than the timing clock on the blinky dot condition. Mm-hmm. So, so the metaphor is, you know, if the control condition and the blinky dot condition are both runners, I have started the stopwatch for the control condition before the control condition even got to the starting line. Mm-hmm. So it looks like the blinky dot condition is a lot faster, um, but it isn't actually. Mm-hmm. The reason that it's faster is that I have programmed in this 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 timing mistake. Um, so... So it, can I just interrupt? Yeah, yeah. And so it, like, what were you feeling? Oh. I, mean, I mean, dare I ask? I mean, I can just imagine, but like, yeah, how, how did it hit you when you saw yeah. that? So when I first realized what it was, I like had this huge wave of panic and then was like, no, you know what? Hold on. It might not be that. That's the idea that it might be. Stay calm. Test it. See if that's actually what it is before you panic. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then, you know, I just sat there and like changed the settings a few different ways to, to test it um, and looked at the data and realized that that's that is what had happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was it was a total like gut punch, mm-hmm. right? Like my throat was tight and my stomach like collapsed. Um, and, and it was just like heartbreaking. Right. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about how, you know, I had written this paper and I had taken it to conferences and I had like gone out with Violet to celebrate after it got published mm-hmm. and reviewers had spent time on it and the editor had spent time on it. And, you know, like, just all of the effort that goes into a paper, especially one that I'm like particularly proud of, mm-hmm. right? This was this was certainly like my favorite finding, yep. my, fav- my favorite mm-hmm. paper. Um, so I closed my laptop and I just kind of sat in the dark for a minute and was like, "Do we swear on this podcast?" I forget. <laughs> well, you, and- <laughs> you 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 can. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like. Oh shucks! Um, <laughs> yeah, and just like kind of, uh, just you know, thought through everything, mm-hmm. um, and started making this list of my in my mind of like what I was going to have to do if I revealed this error, mm-hmm. right? Like I, um, I'm not going to lie that I had a I had a few moments of I could just never tell anybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if I, if someone did find it someday, I could easily plead ignorance, right? It was incredibly hard for me to find this mistake. Mm -hmm. So odds are maybe nobody else ever would. Um, uh, yeah. And so I just started thinking about like how much easier it would be to say, it's weird. I guess that effect is really touchy. Let's study something else that, you know, behaves more robustly or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, one, one of the things that in retrospect made this funny, but did not seem funny at the time, is I had just did an interview for the um, APA, the American Psychological Association Monitor, which is like their, you know, magazine about teaching open science. And the the article ended with a quote um, that that I said that was like, Scientists shouldn't be in the business of 
hiding their mistakes. Mm -hmm. We should be looking for ways to make fewer (laughs) mistakes, but when we do make them, they need to be, you know, out in the open and transparent Uh so other people Uh can find them, right? And I had, like, just given this interview about, like, how important it is to be transparent about mistakes. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I had these couple of dark moments of maybe I just do the wrong thing and don't tell anyone. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, I decided not to. Good for you. Gentle listener. (laughs) We're not not going to stop them. (laughs) And and then you never told it. Yeah. Um, For a couple of reasons. One is that I think like I couldn't live with myself, right? Mm -hmm. Like I think it really would have been a really guilt inducing, terrible experience. Mm -hmm. Um, The other thing is, uh, and this was like the little flicker of positive emotion I had that (laughs) fortnight, um, (laughs) which was that I'm pretty sure uh, I have trained my students so well that they would have figured it out. Um, Mm -hmm. That like my students, if I had said, "Eh, let's just not do this effect, whatever, that given everything we've talked about, about questionable research practices, um, I think they would have, uh, I think they would have known. I think, uh, I think I wouldn't have gotten away with it mm-hmm. because, because my students are too good. So, yeah. <laughs> so you would have been found out one way or another. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and you know, I, uh, have been advocating for transparency well, and openness in science. And you gotta right walk to the do. walk, you have a right? Conscience right and and you care about yeah. this stuff. Yeah. Um, so, uh, okay. So I'm laughing as I talk about this, but this was just, this was like full on face melting crying time. Mm-hmm. And I went and talked to my husband and, you know, kind of like explained what I had found. And he was wonderful and supportive and asked all the right follow-up questions and, you know, kind of helped me get myself under control and, and figure out what the next course of action was. Um, so then that night I started drafting a whole bunch of emails to a whole bunch of people. Um, I didn't send any that night. I was like, I'm going to sleep on this and whatever. But, um, so, so here's what I had to do. I had to tell Violet to cancel her master's defense. Um, I had to write to, um, I mean, talk to Violet and Dennis, my co-authors, and explain, you know, what I had done. Um, I had to tell my research students. I had to tell uh, the dean of the college and my department chair because I was currently under review for tenure. So the department, like, had my materials and was getting ready to meet. And so I realized I needed to let them know that there was this issue. Um... I had to tell my NIH program officer, um, and of course, I had to contact the journal and start uh, start you know the process of correcting or or retracting the paper. Mm-hmm. Um, which, so, which of those is yeah. the hardest one to uh, write? I mean, they're all horrible, I'm sure, but like, was one of them, yeah, way on you more? Yeah, I mean, I th- I think the thing that was was um, that was the biggest. The thing that was the most scary for me um, was the fact that I was, like, under tenure review, like, mm-hmm. currently under tenure review. And I felt like my tenure case was really good. I had gotten great indications. I'm very proud of the work that I've done here. Um, and I was just terrified that all of that might be, um, you know, like, g- given the timing, given, like, th- the magnitude of the mistake, that all of that hard work might be for nothing, right? Mm-hmm. Like if this, mm-hmm. if this was going to jeopardize 
if this was going to jeopardize tenure, like, yeah, ugh. um, you know, and, and then there was also part of me that was like, I know I have to tell, but like, maybe I could just tell after I get tenure. <laughs> <They're not gonna laughs> tenure. Like, but again, it was it like, bit, you know, yeah, yeah, right. Or like after I have published some stuff from this grant, mm-hmm. you know, I had the grant mm-hmm. for like literally five weeks when I found this. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it was also like pretty devastating to talk with my students about it mm-hmm. um, because I wanted to like, you know, model open science practices and wanted to model like doing the right thing, even when it's hard. Um, but I was like, just incredibly disappointed. Mm-hmm. Right. Dis- and like embarrassed, you know, mm-hmm. and ugh. and so yeah. all of those things were really hard. So, uh, all right. So I lay down in bed. I don't sleep. I just worry all night long. Then I wake up, make my kids lunches, get them off to school and, and then have like the worst day ever. Um, this is, uh, I think this is about the point where I, where I call you, Jonathan, where I start sending Slack messages and I'm like, mm-hmm. what are you doing? What are you doing? And you were like a study section or something. Yeah. 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 Um, you know, and so we found this like little window of time. Did I seem panicked? How did I sound at that time? I don't remember. You, <laughs> yeah, a little, a little panicked. Um, yeah, it was kind of midway through you figuring out how to do all this stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, so anyway, I don't, I don't know if I said anything. I mean, I basically, I, th- I think I just encourage you to keep doing the right thing and that it would be okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think you said I mean, something along the lines of like, oh, that's really, really too bad. And I understand why you're upset yeah. and you're doing the right thing and it's yeah. going to be okay. Yeah. Which was, which was the right thing to say. Thank you yeah. for that. Well, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So, so this is in um, mid-October of 2019. Um, and uh, so I write all of these emails to everyone um, and surprisingly, I guess, because I had been in like this very dark place of everyone's going to think I'm terrible and a failure because I screwed up the timing clock in my stimulus presentation program and all of the consequences that had clearly. Um, But everybody was so supportive, Mm -hmm. right? So I got, I got notes back from my Dean and my chair that said really thoughtful things about how they're, you know, uh, glad, but not surprised at my integrity and in bringing it forward and, you know, to keep them posted and whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the editor, um, of, at the time of Psychonomic Bulletin Review, Greg Hickok, um, was awesome. He responded to the, you know, the like heart-wrenching email that I, I mean, heart-wrenching edited down to be very professional. Yeah. Um, uh-huh. he responded to the email like within hours and was like, that's a really bum- that's a you know big bummer but these things happen and thanks for bringing it to our attention and looped in the folks from the publisher from Springer to try to figure out you know what to do um and so we ended up going back and forth with um with the editor and Springer um a few times while they tried to get a sense of like how big this mistake was like is this something you can fix just with an erratum does it have to be a full retraction um and and <laughs> And, and, you know, so when they were asking, like, how big a, how big a change is this to the paper? Um, one of the things that I said is, like, 
this is a huge change. Like even the title of the paper is now wrong. Mm -hmm. Like the title of the paper says, blah, 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 reduces listening effort. And in fact, it is blah, 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 increases listening effort. Right? It's like, only a few letters different. It's only, really. it's only a few letters, but what a, what a difference <laughs> yeah. does you make. Yeah. 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 Um, and so, uh, and so we kind of, um, it sounded for some months, like what was going to happen is that the paper was going to have to get, um, fully retracted. Mm -hmm. Um, what did you think was the right, I mean, I know you, you kind of just said, but like, what did you think was the right way to proceed at this point? Yeah. So I have learned a lot about, uh, what journals do when papers are wrong. Mm -hmm. Um, and Papers can be wrong for lots of reasons, right? They can be wrong because people make stupid, honest mistakes like mm -hmm. I did. They can be wrong because people make up their data. They can be wrong because of, you know, like scientific misconduct, gross incompetence. Um, and and in general, when papers are wrong, um, what happens is they get retracted, right? Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. this is no longer a good representation of the finding this isn't this, this, you know, we, we can definitively say this is not true. Therefore, this should no longer be in the literature. Um, so uh, about the, the number that I found is about 85% um, of retractions uh, are as a result of, of misconduct or some kind of like, you know, negligence on the part of the author. And those are, those are the ones that get, you know, publicized. Like if you, so Retraction Watch, right, is a blog mm -hmm. that talks about retractions, and I, I see stuff on there every now and then, and and I, all the ones that I'm aware of are from, you know, people manipulating data and and forging stuff and doing these horrible things that are just, you know, um, anyway, intentionally misleading and 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 uh, unconscionable. But like, you, I'm glad that someone found out about them. So that's kind of, I feel like that's the, I mean, when you think retraction, that's what most people think of. Exactly. And so that's one of the reasons that it is it was like so hard for me in these emails with the editor to mm -hmm. basically be like this is not like a small error that we can just say, oops, actually, um, you know, that this is like this systematically changes the story that we're telling right. and makes makes the story that we told not be true. Like in a different universe, it'd be like the fourth decimal point was wrong, but right. the bottom line is still the same. So technically right. we have to correct it, but like nothing right. big changes. And you, in your case, it was, you know, wrong. It's like, you know that cool story opposite. we told? That yeah. is the opposite of what is true. Mm -hmm. um, so one of the things that, um, that, that I learned about, um, while I was, you know, furiously Googling about retractions, um, is that uh, some journals have started implementing things that are um, called called different things, but um, called something like retraction with replacement, mm. where the paper is retracted, but then the authors like write the paper that uh, that it would have been, you know, if an error had not been made. Mm -hmm. um, and the the benefit of this is that it gives uh, it feels like somewhat less of a black mark mm -hmm. than just having a retraction, right? Because there's like a clear explanation of what went wrong and how the authors tried um, tried to fix it. Um, and you know, there's there's a lot that we can criticize about the scientific publishing process, um, but but one thing is that like if you want people to be willing to admit their mistakes you shouldn't label their mistakes with the same label as 
fraud and misconduct, Mm -hmm. right? Like it is very hard to self-nominate for a category that is in 85% of cases for people who have done scientific misconduct. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, And so, so, you know, we like described this retraction with replacement, given that the, the error was totally systematic, it was very easy to just reanalyze the data as they should have been without the error. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so um, the editor was, you know, supportive of that, thought it seemed reasonable. It got bounced to, to Springer to figure out, like, how to actually deal with the logistics of it. Um, and it turns out... <laughs> Scientific publishing is so complicated, right? So, so I've been I've gone back and forth with Springer many, many times um, in the past few months, and they have been like really great and helpful and answered questions promptly. Um, but, but basically, it sounds like they um, haven't done. I mean, that's the impression that I got. Nobody explicitly said this to me, but the impression that I got is that um, they were kind of figuring out how to uh, like change the old version to say. Hey, you need to check out this what they call a uh, related article mm-hmm. that then links to the new version of the paper we wrote with the opposite title that is exactly the same except the results section <laughs> has different numbers and the general discussion is uh, you know, much uh-huh. tamer. Um and and so what uh, so what what Springer has, you know, uh, decided agreed arranged, um, is that there are now going to be these two papers with contradictory titles that both link to one another, Mm -hmm. uh, with like an author's note in the new paper that kind of explains what happened. Um, so it is, uh, so, so the old paper was not retracted. It is still out there in the world, but if you go to click on it, it sends you to the new paper instead. Mm -hmm. Um, so, so that was really like, so yeah, are, you, sure. are you saying that they basically didn't have a, a process for doing this? Um, it, that's, I mean, that's I mean what potentially it seemed like. not to, yeah. you know, that's draw too like. much. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, so, so after like spending months coming to terms with the fact that the paper was going to get retracted and I was going to be on retraction watch, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, it, it, it didn't happen. Uh-huh. Um, and so I, I, like, I'm I'm very like I think it's wonderful that Springer is trying to implement you know this this practice to enable uh, I mean I don't know if the point is to enable authors to self correct with with you know fewer uh, with less stigma but mm-hmm. that's that is that is the consequence mm-hmm. um, and so where we are now is that uh, I just looked at the page proofs. Uh, of the the new article, um, it has not yet come out online, but I'm anticipating that it that it will pretty soon. Um, or maybe even have, by the time we we release this, I think so. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. So I am very eager to put this behind me and be done with it. This has been a. I mean, this has certainly been like the most difficult thing that's ever happened in my career mm-hmm. like hands down right mm-hmm. like finding a mistake of this magnitude admitting it dealing with all the fallout um has been has been really really hard um 
okay, so so uh, as all of this was unfolding, part of me like didn't want to tell anybody other than the people that I absolutely had to tell, right? Like had to tell the journal, had to tell my dean, but like maybe I don't have to tell my friends, my other colleagues, like um podcast. My podcast, <laughs> right? right. Uh-huh. Um but 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 here we are. Um <clears throat> so the reason that I wanted to talk about this publicly, um I've also like written an essay um that I'll share online once the once the new article comes out. Um is that when this when this happened, um, I had never heard of a comparable situation, mm-hmm. right? I didn't know anybody who had retracted one of their own papers. I don't know anyone who had, like, found a huge mistake mm-hmm. in their published work and, like, you know, gone public with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I had no idea what was going to happen. Right. right? That, was like, part of, that was part of the fear, right? That, like, this was totally unknown territory. Mm-hmm. You, you don't have any models for it. And so mm-hmm. for all you, like in retrospect, presumably, well, you, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but like things t- seemed like they turned out okay, or at least not as bad as they could have. Yeah. But for all you knew, you would have been denied tenure, your grant taken away, like kicked out on the street, because, you know, because you don't know, yeah. this has never yeah. happened before, as exactly. far as you know. Exactly. I mean, and like when I was talking with my husband about it, I was like, I don't know what this means. I don't know. I said, I said, I'm not sure if this is a career ender, but like, it's in the same ballpark. Mm-hmm. Right. Like I thought, you know, this job that I totally love. Um, I don't know. I thought that might be, might be a risk. Right. Um, and so it's actually been, um, really heartening that, that since I found and reported the error in October, um, there have been a couple of other like prominent cases of people like retracting their own papers, um, including a Nobel Prize winner. Um, and the response that uh, that I have seen of, to those online has been overwhelmingly positive. You mm-hmm. know, people saying, way to do the right thing, even when it's hard. Mm-hmm. Um, but but so I, I decided that I wanted to, you know, talk about this as publicly as possible. Um, first, so that if somebody listens to this and then finds themselves in a comparable situation, uh, they might have a less terrible experience than I did. Mm-hmm. Um, if I had, if I had heard this or, you know, read about this, um, before I found my mistake, I think, I think that would have been helpful to me. So I was mm-hmm. like, get it out there to maybe, maybe be helpful to others. Um, I, I think it's also just good to help normalize talking about making mistakes. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that people have been telling me since this happened is that everyone makes mistakes. And <laughs> I think that's probably true. <laughs> did I tell you? I don't know if I told you that, but I'll, I'll tell you right now. I think, I think you did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so apparently everyone makes these. Um, and, uh, you know, and there's, there's some great initiatives to talk about mistakes in a lot of contexts. Um, there is uh there's this wonderful uh, project slash paper that's being worked on now called the Loss of Confidence Project, um, where researchers are talking about uh, findings of of theirs that they no longer have confidence in. Um, and I think it's a really admirable project because it's, you know, kind of like pointing out the fact that the scientific record can be fallible and it's OK to, uh, you know, admit when when you may have been wrong. Mm-hmm. Um. So, 
So here I am talking about <laughs> talking about how I screwed up. Um, okay, but 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 the other thing is that the other reason I wanted to share this story is that is that yeah, the fallout like was not as bad as I expected. Um, so I I got tenure. Um, my program officer uh, was supportive and encouraging, and also said something along the lines of "These things happen." tell us about it and how you dealt with it, you know, in your end of year report. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, she didn't say give us the money back. Mm -hmm. Um, All of my colleagues that I've talked to have, um, have said really nice things about how doing the right thing, even when it's hard and you're worried that it's going to cost you your job. Um, is an admirable thing to do. And, you know, mm-hmm. um, uh, and, and frankly, like, I don't know what the long-term fallout of this will be. Maybe it will make people trust my work less. Um, maybe it'll make them, you know, read my stuff with a more skeptical eye. Um, <laughs> I hope I mean, I think, I think that's a totally reasonable. Well, maybe, but I, I mean, well, and obviously I'm biased and I know you and all that, but like, I would, I would think the opposite because like, well, everyone, I'm sure everyone makes mistakes, whether or not those make it into a published article is not so much. I'm guessing because everyone else is so much more careful is because they don't look right. I think a lot of people um, would not replicate a finding and, and not look into it carefully enough and be like, Oh, that's weird. It worked. It worked last year. It doesn't work now. Let's move on to something else. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I think, I think it speaks to, you know, how careful you were to actually track it down and then share what you found. I mean, I would, anyway, I would rather, I would much rather have a careful person who lets me know when they make a mistake than someone who never checks, which I think is Thank most you. people, honestly. Well, well, the, the, all right, this so. is so interesting though, is all the incentives, like all the institutional cultural incentives with a few exceptions, but um, basically uh, push you towards not, handling it the way you did mm-hmm. right it's yeah. very risky career-wise reputation-wise a lot of extra time and effort on your part to try to correct this that you could have been doing other stuff mm-hmm. right and then you know for a real uncertain uncertain outcome yeah yeah well so so i think anyway so what i take away from this is it's really it's important to try to change those uh, incentives to make, I mean, not that people are going to like want to go around, um, replacing papers, but to make it, to make it more of a normal part of science, especially, especially maybe if we're trying to publish things quicker and be more open, like maybe this is what's going to happen is like there, maybe that will increase some mistakes, but then we should just deal with them like, mm-hmm. like grownups because we all make mistakes and sort of, you know, um, I don't know, find a positive way to handle that instead of having it be this big, as you said, lumped in with kind of fraudulent data manipulation, which is horrible. And because of human nature, we'll probably continue. But like, that's not what we're talking about. Yeah. 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 Um, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, what do you, so what do you, how, how do you feel about it today? Like looking back. On the, I mean, I, I, I don't want to put words in your mouth. I'll just, mm-hmm. I'll just ask you, how do you feel about it today? Yeah. Um, 
Um, much better than I did in October. Uh huh. Um, <laughs> I guess the bar was low for that. <laughs> like yes. anything apart from the worst would be better. Yeah. Um, it, it is still like, it is still embarrassing and deeply frustrating to have made this mistake. Yeah. Um, I have, I have become like more at peace with the belief that this did not happen because I am a sloppy scientist. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, like when, one of the things when I was talking to my, some of my research students about this and they were like, but we have so many checks in place to double check everything and make sure, you know, like mm-hmm. we always have multiple people go over the code and we have, you know, lots of systems in place for like double checking all of the places where human error can creep in. They were like, so if this can happen in our lab, it's just like, well, uh-huh. mistake. Mistakes, you know, of course we should embrace systems that reduce mistakes, but they 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 may still happen. Mm-hmm. And so it is it is very yeah, so it's still like embarrassing and frustrating to have made this mistake. Um but but I'm not um I'm not beating myself up as much anymore. Um I'm kind of doing more like looking forward about how do we make sure this doesn't ever happen again? Um, are there things that I can do to help, you know, the the systematic pressures against disclosing these kinds of errors mm-hmm. um, and, and so forth? You know, one, one of the other um, one of the interesting things that came of this is so I mentioned that this paper had like open materials posted on the open science framework. Right. So if anybody wanted to, like, use the program that generated the blinky dot or look at the the or listen to the the audio stimuli um, that we included. Those are all just on the on the internet. Anyone can can go and grab them. Um, but the place where the mistake was was in a um, a proprietary stimulus presentation software that is expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, and so even though even though we had like even though that that was accessible, the odds of somebody else finding that mistake. Um, are somewhat slim unless they also had, you know, bought this expensive software. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the things that my lab is doing is switching to um, open source stimulus presentation software uh, so that <laughs> to make it even easier that if we find mistakes in the future, other people can find them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, it's also been a, okay, let's look for any additional ways we can look for transparency, uh, and, you know, an error detection. Um, another thing it's been making me think about is that, that we really need to more broadly embrace, embrace alternatives to retraction, right? That, um, that it's, it's great that, you know, Springer came up with or implemented this, you know, uh, related article mm-hmm. system um but if we want people to be willing to admit their mistakes that should really become more uh more more widely adopted like a standard thing that every publisher knows how to do because it's yeah. just part of scientific publishing yep right yep. Well, i was going to say also it sounds like um you know in your case having the support of the editor to also i mean to support you and to figure it out but also i'm I'm, if I had to guess, to work with the publisher, yep. um, because this wasn't a normal thing, I, I imagine a, a different editor, you might have gotten a different 
response. And that's also a shame, right? Like someone else who tried to do the right thing Mm -hmm. might have had a worse time depending on the journal and the publisher and all that. And so it'd be nice to not not have that be a a risk, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when I when I think about like, it, it felt like I really had a lot at stake like like the timing of this was was um really made it hard right mm-hmm. that i was like under tenure review that i was freshly grant funded all of this um that made it really hard but there are certainly circumstances that would have been harder right like if if i had only published two papers in my life and i found a mistake in one of them right you know that would have been a much bigger deal than you know my somewhat established track record um, if I was on the job market, right. If I was like, mm-hmm. you know, trying to get a tenure track job and going to interviews and been like, Oh, by the way, um, <laughs> right. At the end of your job talk, you're like, and I'd like to retract my, my last yeah, slide. Right. Right. Uh-huh. So, you know, or, or even like if I was pre tenure, but I think maybe like more precariously. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, um, this, yep. this would have been even harder. And so, so hard as it was, it's just terrible to think that like it would it would have been even harder for some people. And although I would hope that those people in this situation would come forward, I recognize that you know that that would be probably a career ending move mm-hmm. in, in like the current state of publishing. And so right. I so we've we've got to change things. Mm-hmm. I mean, the other thing I noticed, I mean, just as you're telling your story, is. Um, uh, and so, yeah, I'm focusing on the positive stuff, right? But like, mm-hmm. but but you, by replicating yourself and by investigating the effect further, you also identified, like, because you noticed you weren't able to always replicate it, you identified the problem. Whereas mm-hmm. if you had just done a one-off study, no one ever would have known. And all these other people would then go try to, you know, follow up on it and not be successful, mm-hmm. right? And 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 waste their time doing it. So I think... It's kind yeah, it's, of also encouraged me to, uh, you know, it's it's just yet another reason why we should try replicating our own work, mm-hmm. like with a different software program or, you know, a conceptual replication where it's like, oh, it's the same effect, but it's a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Like you want to do that for theoretical reasons, but also just because you might have an error in your code and you might never find it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and and, you know, I think there this is also certainly an argument for like systematic programmatic lines of research, mm-hmm. right? Where right. Um, my lab has not yet uh, tried to do a direct replication of someone else's finding, right? Where we just mm-hmm. say, there's a finding out there. I want to do exactly what they did and see if it replicates. Mm-hmm. Um, but but most of our studies include some kind of replication component of, you know, of, of our previous work um, or conceptual replications of other people's previous work. Mm-hmm. Um and one of the things that I've encouraged people to do is to not think of doing replications as like, uh, I need to devote time and resources to just checking someone else's work, right? Mm-hmm. But to just build in replications to the studies that you're already running, mm-hmm. right? Like in many cases, you can just add one more condition that participants are in that will allow you to make a comparison that will, you know, basically mm-hmm. be a be a replication of something that you've done previously. And so... So that's that's exactly what we what we did here, right? We just one of the conditions we were testing, um, I mean, two of the conditions we were testing were direct replications of that that original finding, mm-hmm. and 
And thank goodness we had included that and not tried to build on it, because if we had just kind of done the next step, we might have said, oh, I guess it works in this context, but not in this other context. Right. When in fact, what we found is it just doesn't work anywhere. Right. Right. Yeah. No, that's an important point. Um, One other thing I want to ask you is like, um, as much as you're comfortable sharing, but like, what is the reaction from students in your lab been having seen you go through this? And I, I guess I'm particularly interested because they're relatively new to research compared mm-hmm. compared to you and me and lots of other people that we know. And so I think, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, this is sort of, yeah, they're just, this is, is this normal for them now? Like, is this, I mean, I guess they, <laughs> they realize kind of, um, cause you've shared with them that it's not common, I guess, right. but like, yeah. How's that been? Yeah. So when I, um, when I found the mistake, I wrote, uh, you know, a few paragraphs long Slack message to everybody because we were going to have lab meeting for a few days and I kind of didn't trust myself to get all the details right in person. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of one of my wonderful students um, wrote a Slack message back that said, I've never been so proud to be in this lab as when I read that message. Oh, yeah. And that really, I was like, whew, okay. Mm-hmm. They're, they're not going to be disappointed in me and think I'm a failure. Mm-hmm. You know, um, we have talked enough about open science and structure of scientific publishing and incentives and all of that, that, you know, they know they're, you know, they're familiar with these issues. Um, And so um, it's, yeah, it's been, it's been really tough. Like, uh, uh, you know, having a good attitude when sometimes I don't feel like I want to. Um, uh, but, but I think, you know, I think they've learned a lot. I think, um, you know, I don't think they think less of me for it. Mm-hmm. Well, I think, I mean, if I, uh, if I had been, if, I'm thinking for myself, like as a graduate student, but if my, uh, advisor had, had done what you did, um, I think I would, I think it would have just set an example for me. And I think that would have seemed more normal. Right. And so I mm-hmm. think, you know, you're taking a really big step to help that be more of an acceptable, yeah, normal part of science, which I think it really should be. Uh, and so I, th- I, I'm actually, you know, kind of jealous of people in your lab because they've gotten to see. <laughs> oh, oh, the people in my lab. Okay, okay. Yeah, none of you. So no, no offense. <laughs> no, um, uh, just because I think you you've modeled a really important thing for them, and mm-hmm. and hopefully for you know for other people listening too, because you've been. Um, uh, willing to be so open about it. Um, so not that I would wish anyone to go through this, but I think, you know, you've handled it in a way that other people can now benefit. Thank you. All right. Well, you see listeners, you, you screw up in a really big and consequential way and people say nice things about you. That's what I <laughs> Right. Exactly. <laughs> We're changing the incentive structure, you know? Yeah. yeah. Well, I do. And honestly though, I do think, so my last question for you, I guess, mm-hmm. um, uh, well, I, you know, so there's lots of reasons not, there's lots of incentives not to do the right thing. Uh, and you, you know, you've listed those. Um, but it sounds like you have had some support. And I just wonder if that has sort of, you know, like if, I'm sure this won't happen again, but, but if it did happen again, like does that support of um, some colleagues and maybe, you know, some of the folks on Twitter, or whoever you interact with more broadly that I imagine would be, kind of um, championing transparency and openness in science. Like, have you gotten any positive reinforcement um, from that side of it? 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, everyone, like everyone that I have talked to, um, has included something like "you're doing the right thing," integrity, impressive, mm-hmm, admirable, mm-hmm. whatever. Like every, right. you know, everybody has has um, said something along those lines, and you know, and also said the things about like what is remarkable is not that you found is not is not that you made a mistake, but that like you you found it buried mm-hmm. as deep as it was and mm-hmm. you know. Right. Um and that's been that's been really um really nice. And uh, it still really sucks to yeah. make mistakes. Yeah, yeah. But it has been it has been wonderful to to get all of that support. Um and listeners, if you ever find yourself in a comparable situation, send me an email and I will give you all of the support because I, I know how hard this is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, so I guess like the, 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 the take home message um, is finding and admitting mistakes is really hard, uh, especially in the current kind of, you know, incentive structure way that publishing works. Um, and and it's incredibly important. Um, in my case, I obviously don't know if this is, would be the case for everybody in in this similar situation. But in my case, uh, the fallout was nowhere near as bad as I thought it would be. Um, I have uh, gotten a lot of a lot of kind words from a lot of people, a lot of great support, um, and at least to my face, no one is you know telling me all the things that, uh, you know, that, that, that I feared might come of this. Mm-hmm. Um, so I am glad to get to talk about and normalize mistakes. And I hope, um, I hope that's helpful to, to people who are listening. Well, thanks for sharing your story, Julia. And, um, we'll keep, you know, keep us posted on, on kind of where it goes from here. My pleasure. Thank you for listening. Yeah. And we'll include links to all the stuff that Julia talked about on the website, juiceandsqueeze.net. And you can also find a contact button there if you want to share your thoughts about this or indeed any other topic. We love hearing from you. Talk to you next time. All right. Bye, everybody.